You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, In all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's the word of the Lord. Hey, it's good to gather together as God's people today. Uh, Let me add to the welcomes that you've already received on your way in. Uh, Welcome, uh, particularly if this is your first time with us. Uh, We are so glad that you are here. Welcome likewise to those who are joining us, uh, perhaps in isolation from home, uh, online. We are glad you're here as well. Uh, My name is Dave. It is my honor to serve as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, And hey, I've got some good news for you this morning. You ready for it? God speaks. Isn't that good news? Isn't that astonishing? Uh, There should have been a bigger cheer on that one, but I'll uh, forgive you, it's early. Uh, But why don't we pray and ask that God would illuminate the word that we've just heard uh, as we reflect on it together now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are indeed a God who speaks. May we be a people who never grow weary of hearing your voice. Father, right now we ask that you would give us faith to receive 
your word, and that by the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd enable us to understand what it means, that you would put put within us a a desire to uh, put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently through Jesus Christ, our risen, ruling and returning King, and all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Uh, well, I went to primary school uh, in the 1980s and a little bit of the 1990s, and I was part of a so-called generation that didn't learn good English grammar things and stuff. It wasn't until I... Was anyone else part of that generation? Is anyone else not good at English grammar and stuff and just pretends they're going to be part of that generation? Great. Uh, it wasn't until I went to university to learn how to be a primary school teacher that I learned a little bit more about how grammar works. And then, even more so when I studied biblical Greek uh, at theological college, I had to go, wait, there's still more I need to understand about the English language and how it works. And so today, I wanted to begin by talking about verb moods. Turn to your neighbor and say, verb moods. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, I wish I was in Cinema 5 watching a movie. (laughs) Now, before you switch off, uh, we're not going to stop here long in this grammar lesson, but I actually think it's important to understand verb moods uh, in order to grasp a significant principle, a life-changing principle in Scripture. The two moods uh, in particular we'll focus on uh, right now are the indicative mood and the imperative mood. The indicative is the mood of reality, statement of facts, something that is. The dog jumps in the car. It just is. It's happened. Imperative is a command. It's a call to do something. And so in the New Testament and in the Christian message, indicatives always come before imperatives. That is, statements of fact things that have already been done, God is doing, come before the call for the things that we are to be doing. Uh, This new series that we begun last week in the book of 1 Peter, uh, we learn from the Apostle Peter when he writes to scattered Christians throughout the region of what we would call modern-day Turkey. Uh, Now, last week, uh, if you missed it, check it out on our podcast or YouTube channel. Uh, We looked at chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. And chapter 1, verse 1 to 12 was filled with indicatives, statements of fact and reality, who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what God has done, and who we now are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 to verse 12 is filled with indicative statements about the gospel. It's filled with the gospel. We see God's grace shown in Christ Jesus. We see that we have a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. You see, salvation is not about what we do. It's not about our obedience to imperatives. Salvation is not, about, uh, it is not something that we can earn. You see, being one of God's people, and this is good news, is all of grace. It's an undeserved gift that God has freely lavished upon us. You know, many people think that Christianity uh, is about rule keeping, that if you do enough good, 
If you obey enough imperatives, God will accept you. You know, perhaps you're new here today and you're also new to Jesus and Christianity. Well, number one, we are so glad that you're here. This is a safe place to keep learning about Jesus and even a little bit of grammar. But number two, understand this. And if you understand this, you're well on your way to understanding Christianity. No one can be saved by any verbs that we perform. We are saved by what God has done in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. How does God save sinners? He does it through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the triumphant resurrection of King Jesus. And so in chapter 1, verse 1 to 12, there are indicatives all over the place. It is all of God. It is all of grace. However, does that mean there is no place for imperatives in the Christian life? By no means. Indicatives come first, but then imperatives follow soon after. And so if last week's passage was filled with indicative mood verbs, this week's passage has a whole bunch of imperative mood verbs. There's a whole bunch of commands in this passage. Do this, do that. And so we do this and we do that not to earn God's favour, but as we heard last week, we are elect exiles who have been made right with God by Christ Jesus. Therefore, we do this. Therefore, we do that. Therefore, we live like this. Keep your Bibles out. Keep them open to 1 Peter. We're looking at the second half of chapter 1 and the opening verses of chapter 2. Again, as Mike said, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a copy of one. And so please see our team out at the info desk after the service. We'd love not only to put a Bible in your hands, but we'd love to help you find your way around it and uh, encourage you to read it and answer any questions that you might have on your journey. Uh, Grab your Bibles out. Keep them open. We're going to begin there in our opening verse from our reading. Have a look at verse 13. It says, therefore, we'll stop there. Uh, This is a question uh, that is worth asking every time we see a therefore in Scripture. Uh, Therefore, what's it? Therefore. Uh, and, and, And so there's a sense in which we've got a clear hinge that links us back to verse 1 to 12. In view of all that has come in verse 1 to 12, do this. Therefore, do this. And what does he say to do? What's the headline? Well, keep reading verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, set your minds, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. If you look at the footnote there, if you've got the ESV, it says Greek, girding up the loins of your mind. It's kind of some old school language, King James versions out there. You're probably loving that right now. But kind of the modern equivalent of girding up your loins is rolling up your sleeves, right? It's get ready to put in some effort, to get your hands dirty, to get your heads ready. Let's do something. You know, what's the main verb in this section? Set your hope fully. We roll up our sleeves, we gird up the loins of our minds so that we can set our hope fully. It's a command to set your hope fully. To set our hope fully on what? Well, what we've already read. 
We've already read about our hope. We've already seen in chapter 1, verse 3, the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, because of what is already yours, because of the indicatives that God has given to you, that God has done on your behalf, now live in light of it. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's looking forward. We've looked back, but as we look forward, as you, in view of the end, let the hope that is certain for you, the, the hope that is kept in heaven for you, that we read about last week, let it shape how you live now. You do have hope in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So live a life with hope in Christ. Set your hope fully, not partially, not half-heartedly. If this is your hope, if you're an elect exile, one who already belongs to Jesus, it will change the way that you live while you journey through this life. I love this uh, quote from John Owen's epitaph. Uh, John Owen was an English pastor in the 1600s. And and here's an extract. It says, While on the road to heaven, his elevated mind almost comprehended its full glories and joys. Almost. His mind, if you read any of his writings, was constantly drawn to heaven to his eternal destination and the glory and the joy of that day shaped his life in this world. Friends, on our road, on our journey to heaven, this morning, I want you to lift the gaze of your eyes, of your heart, of your mind and know the glorious hope that is yours, and then to live in light of it. And so the question we're going to try to answer as we keep walking our way through the passage this morning is this. How does hope make a difference to your life? Got the question? How does hope make a difference to your life? And I want to show you briefly four ways that hope makes a difference in your life. And each of these paragraphs, each of these sections includes uh, imperatives, Verbs, commands to do. Four ways that we can fully set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's ready for the first one? Come on. How does hope make a difference to your life? Number one, hope leads to holiness. Number one, hope leads to holiness. Check it out as it continues. Verse 14, it says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are described there as obedient children. We've been adopted into the family of God. We belong to God. We are part of his family and we are called to listen to our dad. We are called to obey our Father. And did you notice in that section there, there's kind of two aspects of the negative and there's a positive. The negative is turn away from one life and the positive is embrace a new life. 
The turning away, what does it say? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's a message to put sin to death. I quoted John Owen before. He's written whole books about how to put sin to death with his eyes fixed on the end and the importance of holiness in this life. Put sin to death. Turn away from the passions which lead to death, the habits which lead to slavery. Hey, you're no longer ignorant, so flee them. Don't be conformed to the world around you. That is such a big message in the book of 1 Peter. That is such a relevant message for us today. One of the big ideas of this whole book is don't be conformed to the world around you. Don't look like the world around you. We're like salmon swimming upstream while the rest of culture and the rest of the people around us go one way, down a drain. We swim away. We swim upstream. We, 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 we turn away from our old life before we were Christian. But positively, we embrace a new life. You see what it says there? Be holy as God is holy. Be holy as God is holy. We are commanded to be holy. Now, uh, uh, the quote there that we see in verse 16, uh, since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy, is from Leviticus chapter 11. It's from the Old Testament law. This was already an expectation on God's people in the Old Testament, but perhaps all the more so, there's a call on God's people in the New Testament, those who've been rescued by Him, those who have hope in Christ to be holy. Now, God is altogether holy. What does holy mean? He's, he's set apart. He's different. He's transcendently different. He's God, right? And so it's not a call, okay, be God like God is God. It's not saying we become God. It's not a call to be God, but it's a call to imitate God in His holiness, to be set apart, to be different from the world around us. Anyone know the song, Cats in the Cradle? Who's heard of the song, Cats in the Cradle? Lots of people have. I think it was written in 1974 by Harry Chapin. Don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I know the 1992 version by Ugly Kid Joe, and a lot of other bands have done it. Uh, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. I don't have any more of the lyrics written down here. So I'll stop. But it's a song, and it's quite a moving song. It's quite a long song. I won't quote the whole thing. Uh, But here is this father. His child has arrived, and yet he's too busy to be with his son. And as the story goes on through the song, the son asks him, Dad, will you join in with these childhood activities? And the father kind of keeps promising that, yeah, I will, son. I will, son. It's kind of in the future, son. And yet the son starts to model himself on his father's behavior, wishing to be just like him. And my goodness, the final two verses are poignant. The roles are reversed. The father, now elderly, asks his grown-up son to spend time with him. But now the son is too busy for the father. Kind of some of the final lines are, and as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. 
You know, as you think about living in close proximity with people, as you live in the context of a family, it is easy to take on the family resemblance. You know, you might have seen this in your relationship with your parents, and perhaps even now, the older you get, the more you go, oh my goodness, I'm like my mom. Oh my goodness, I'm just like my dad in that regard. Or perhaps you even see that in your own children and and maybe that's a little bit nerve-wracking as you see the way that perhaps they're picking up some of the, the habits or the words or the mannerisms or the character traits that you have on display. You know, the reality is you might be a, a great parent, you might have had great parents, but each of us have failed or been failed in some way by our parents or towards our children. But the good news is God is holy, God is perfect, God won't let us down, and so we belong to Him and are to grow in our resemblance of Him. We're to to spend time with Him to see what He is like and take up His mannerisms, His character traits. Christian, brother, sister, strive to put to death the sins of your former way of life before you became a follower of Jesus. You're not saved by putting sin to death, but as one who has been saved and has hope in Christ, seek to be like your father. You know what? To be like your father requires spending time in his presence. If hope leads to holiness, if we are called to be holy as he is holy, see what he is like. Spend time in his word, understanding his character, understanding his actions, understanding his holiness and seek to be like him. And likewise, on the cats in the cradle themes, for those of you that have kids, it is worthwhile considering how are you modelling to the next generation resemblance of your father in your conduct? Is being holy as God is holy a priority in your home? An example you are setting. How does hope make a difference to your life? Number one. Hope leads to holiness. Number two, hope leads to worship. Number two, hope leads to worship. We all worship someone or something. The only question is who or what. Those who hope in Christ are commanded to be worshippers of Christ, to be worshippers of God. Pick it up in the next section with me from verse 17. It says, and... If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Notice the time. The time is the time of your exile. It is how we live right now as aliens, as strangers, as sojourners, as elect exiles in this world. And and what does verse 17 say? It says... Well, God is our Father, He is also our Judge, therefore, conduct yourselves with fear, holy fear, throughout the time of your exile. You know, it is a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But more than that, our our fear of God is not just a fear of God as Judge, it is as those who've been forgiven by the Judge. 
You know, fear of the Lord in Scripture is a big theme, and in particular in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And uh, the fear of the Lord is all about recognizing He is the Creator and we are but creatures. He is God and we are not. And humbly coming before Him with reverence, with awe, with worship. You see, the call is to, to worship. The call is to fear the God who not only made you, who not only can judge you, but who has saved you, has forgiven you, has called you into his family that you may call him father. You know, I love that Peter doesn't just mention all the gospel statements and reasons for our hope in his opener from verse 1 to 12, right? Yeah, there's a stack of indicatives in there, but he can't help it. The whole way throughout the letter, he keeps dropping gospel bomb after bomb. Yeah, fear God. Revere God, be in awe of God, worship God. Why? He'll give us another reason, because he's worthy. Look at verse 18. Knowing that, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A reason to worship God. You know, it speaks about being ransomed there. Slavery is kind of the theme uh, and the idea in these verses. And slavery in the ancient world was primarily economic rather than racial. And so to be freed from slavery, therefore, was also economic. Uh, a ransom price needed to be paid. And it was typically uh, something of value, maybe silver, maybe gold, maybe Bitcoin, maybe lots of wads of cash. Uh, and you'd be ransomed from futile ways through something of value. And Christian, you've been ransomed from futile ways through something of infinite value. Do you notice? It's not silver, it's not gold. You've been ransomed by, verse 19, the precious blood of Christ. This is really good news. Because the, the reason ultimately we're enslaved is not economic, it's relational. It's because of our rebellion against God. We've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. We've failed to worship Him. We failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are deserving of judgment from the judge for the way that we've sinned against Him. And yet the good news of the gospel is Jesus comes, and Jesus lives, and He lives a sinless life. He's described there as a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, the Old Testament background is that of the sacrificial system. I'm currently reading through Leviticus in my Bible readings and it's heavy going. There's a lot of blood. And yet the book of Leviticus reminds us that there's a lot of blood because blood needed to be shed in order for forgiveness to be granted. And in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, we had innocent lambs, lambs without blemish that were offered up on the behalf of the people. And yet they never fully dealt with sin. Because sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, lamb after lamb after lamb, blood after blood after blood needed to be sacrificed in order for sins to be forgiven. And yet along comes Jesus. Elsewhere, he's described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God and his precious blood is the ransom price. Brother, sister, we have been rescued, ransomed from a futile way of life 
through Jesus and through his wonderful blood shed on our behalf. He, the innocent one, died the death we deserve. He, the sinless one, died in the place of us when we were sinners. Isn't that wonderful? You know, if you're reading the book of Leviticus like me, maybe you'd, in the middle of the Old Testament as you do a Bible reading plan for the year, and I kind of get this at this stage every year when I read Leviticus, it's actually really hard. I don't enjoy the book of Leviticus. I really don't. But, but I love that blood is all the way through it and points me forward to that once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb without blemish, by whose blood we have been saved and rescued. But more than that, we know that not only Jesus' blood was shed, we know that something happened three days later. Have a look at verse 20. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Death couldn't hold Jesus down. He's raised from the dead. We have a resurrection hope. And the resurrection hope that we're shown in the first half of chapter 1 is that we too will be raised. Like Christ's tomb is empty, our tombs will be empty. That is our hope. That is our living hope as opposed to dead hope. And it's ours once again because of that blood of Jesus shed for us, because of that resurrection of Jesus. Look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is what Christ has done. You're a sinner and deserving of judgment. And yet God loves you and God has shown how much he loves you by sending his son into the world to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death and to be raised triumphantly that you too, if you put your hope, if you put your faith in him, you too will be raised. Look, if that's you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're like, I want that, no one's going to twist your arm and kind of say, you better become a Christian this week. But maybe you're ready to become a Christian. Take hold of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If that is you, please let us know via Connect form. Please come and speak to me. Come and speak to our team out at the info desk. We'd love to talk with you further about what it means to put your faith and put your hope in God. You know what? For the many of us here, for the many of us online that are followers of Jesus, as you see this hope that is yours through the precious blood of Christ... Let it lead to greater fear, awe, reverence and worship. He is worthy. You know, as a church, we speak about keeping the gospel on repeat. We want to keep proclaiming the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for unbelievers to hear once to become a Christian. But brothers and sisters, we need the gospel every single day. We need to be sustained by it. We need the hope of the gospel as we look ahead to shape our lives now. You see, the more we gaze on the beauty of Christ, the more we'll be filled with hope, the more we'll be filled with gratitude, the more we will be a people, not perfectly, but we will be a people who are worshipping him, who are worshipping God, because Nothing else or no one else is worthy of your worship like that lamb who was crucified on your behalf. How does hope make a difference to your life? Number one, hope leads to holiness. Number two, hope leads to worship. Number three, hope leads to love. Hope leads to love. 
Hope impacts not only our relationship with God, but it must impact our relationships with one another. Jesus said it, didn't he? The world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another shows we are people of hope. Hope leads to love. Have a look at it, verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's fascinating how love is described there. It is sincere. It's genuine. It's real. It's brotherly. It's within the family. This is what we do. This is what we're called to. And it's earnest. We're diligent in our love for one another. We work hard at it. Love is not optional in the Christian life. Love is, just, is not just for, hey, that person's particularly gifted at love. No, no, no. We've been loved. We're all called to love. We belong to Christ. We've got hope in Christ. We love one another sincerely, earnestly. And so, brother, sister... Let me urge you to do two things. We're commanded here to love one another. Obey this command. And and as you think about loving one another, there's kind of two sides to that. Number one, love one another. You, You love other people, right? But number two, be willing to receive love. Be open. Include people in your life. Be open to the love and the generosity of people in your life. Be, be open even to tough love in your life. Do, do you kind of get it? it, it we, we, we are all brothers and sisters. This ain't optional. You are commanded. As one who has hope in Christ Jesus through his resurrection from the dead, we are commanded to love and to receive love. And, and so that won't happen without any type of relational context. That, that, that won't happen by yourself. That, that won't happen in isolation. We, we need relationships and we need time. We need proximity. We need to love and receive love. We need to forgive and receive forgiveness. We need to love and receive love. And, and on it goes. We give ourselves to relationship with the people of God that we would love sincerely, that we would love earnestly, deeply sacrificially, in a costly way. You know, we don't just turn to last week's passage once again for the reason why we love. Uh, we, we keep reading. Look as the paragraph continues. Verse 22, verse 23 then says, since, okay, we love one another from a pure heart, since you've been born again. This is not negotiable. You have been born again. This is part of your new identity in Christ. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. We've been born again. We've already seen that last week. We see it again this week. We've been born again by the living Word of God. We've been made alive by God's alive Word. And as those who are born again, this is who we are 
And so our love is grounded, therefore, in the enduring word of God. As we read God's word, not only are we made alive, but our love is fanned into flame as we love one another with the love that God has shown to us. Uh, In John Stott's book, The Living Church, uh, he talks about something of this love in his, I guess, dream. I have a dream for a caring church. Let me read an extract for you. John Stott says this, I have a dream of a church which is a caring church, whose congregation is drawn from many races, nations, ages, and social backgrounds, and exhibits the unity and diversity of the family of God, whose fellowship is warm and welcoming, and never marred by anger, selfishness, jealousy, or pride, whose members love one another with a pure heart, fervently, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, and bearing one another's burdens, which offers friendship to the lonely, support to the weak, and acceptance to those who are despised and rejected by society. I love this. Whose love spills over to the world outside. Attractive, infectious, irresistible. The love of God himself. I have a dream of a caring church. It's a good vision, isn't it? What would it look like for us to embrace this imperative to love one another and to see the way we can do that within the church, within the people of God, within this community? For those that joined us on Wednesday night at our City Vision Night, we spoke about a desire this year to go deeper and wider. Uh, uh, Wider happens as more people come and ministries grow and new gospel communities launch, and that's wonderful. But, but we want 2022 to be a year where we go deeper, deeper with the Lord and deeper with one another, deeper in love in the midst of our community. What does it look like for you this year to be one who obeys this imperative to love one another? How can you be more earnest? How can you be more sincere in not only being a lover of others, but open, opening your life, opening your home, allowing other people in that you too can be loved. How does hope make a difference to our lives? Number one, hope leads to holiness. Number two, to worship. Number three, to love. The fourth and final thing is that hope leads to maturity. Hope leads to maturity. There's, 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 there's part of the Christian life is that we grow up. We grow up in the faith that we've been saved into. Have a look at the, the final section, the first few verses of chapter 2. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do that. And like newborn infants, look at this, long for the pure spiritual milk. There's the imperative there. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Again, you've got Old Testament ideas there of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have been born again. You are a a newborn infant and so long to grow up in the faith 
to reach maturity, to, to feast upon the Word. We've just heard about the Word. We've just heard about the enduring Word of God in the paragraph before. And so newborn infants, brothers and sisters, as those who belong to Jesus, we turn away from sin, verse 1, and we crave the Word, that we would grow as those who know the Word and who have been saved by it and are growing up into it. We've considered holiness, we've considered worship, we've considered love and we've considered maturity and how our hope, how we are to set our hope fully on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. What I want you just to do as we conclude now is I want you to notice the family language that's all the way through the passage. We're able to call God Father. That's a big deal. We've been adopted into His family. We are called to be obedient children. We are called to show brotherly family love. We are described as newborn infants. In the the next paragraph next week, we'll see that we are called the people of God. Notice that this passage, this book, this letter is not just written to individual Christians scattered throughout modern day Turkey. This is written to churches, to, to clumps of Christians, to the people of God. It's not just to individuals, it's to the people of God. You see, the best context for us to, to have hope, lead to holiness, lead to worship, lead to love, and lead to maturity is within the context of community. If you're here today, come again. If you're at home and you don't have a reason to be at home, come again. Join us in the flesh. Give yourself to community. We do that week by week as we, as we gather here in this place, as we gather in the evenings across the road at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We, we, we commit ourselves to Christian community. Can you do that this year? I get it that it's been a weird time, right? And there's genuinely good reasons to be isolated for a time, to not come along. Let the reader understand, don't come along if you shouldn't come along. But as you look ahead to this year and as you look ahead to the hope that is yours in Christ Jesus, not just this year, but until Christ returns, what does it look like to give yourself to Christian community? We hope together. We pursue holiness together. We worship together. We love together. We grow in maturity together. As you think about your calendar as you think about the immovable blocks, community with God's people, put it in. Number one, every Sunday, every Sunday, join with God's people. Likewise, we've, we've heard about gospel communities and we're thankful to God for them. And we get it that there may be circumstances that just make it tricky for you to be in a gospel community, but we'd urge you, as much as you are, possible, are able to give yourself to even deeper community than we can have here Sunday by Sunday. If you were in a gospel community last year and you turned up 50% of the time and had no reason not to be there the other 50% of the time or had lame reasons not to be there the other 50% of the time, get it a bit higher than 50% this year. 
Again, it's not obey Dave's imperative that you must go 100% of the time to gospel community, otherwise you're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. But community is the context by which we will flourish, by which we will help each other grow in holiness, help each other grow in as worshippers. An avenue and an outlet to love and a context within which we can chew upon God's Word. We can crave spiritual milk. We can dig into God's Word and grow up in the faith. As far as you are able, as you consider 2022, you are not just a person of God. You are one who belongs to the people of God. You are a child of God called into family. And so live it out Sunday by Sunday. Live it out in the context of gospel community. Live it out even more than that. What does it look like to use your digital world to encourage others in the faith? What does it look like to meet up for coffee in an intentional way to encourage one another in the good news of Jesus, to keep holding up before one another the hope that is ours through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That our lives would be lived out as the people of God in community for His glory. Brothers and sisters, let me hold before you once again the wonderful hope that is ours in Jesus. Let's prepare our minds for action. Let's girdle the loins of our minds. Let's be sober-minded, rolling up our sleeves, setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Growing in holiness, growing in worship, growing in love, growing in maturity. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we need your Spirit's help. Father, we are so thankful that we're saved by grace. We're saved not by what we do. We're saved by what Christ has done for us. We thank you for Christ who lived for us, who died for us, who was raised again. And Father, thank you for the resurrection hope that is ours. We, we long for and can't wait for our resurrection bodies. While we wait, while we live in exile, while we journey toward heaven, would you help us by your Spirit to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, may we truly be a people who are growing as a community, as the people of God. May we truly be a people who are being shaped and transformed by your Word, no longer conformed to this world and things passed down to us in this world, but being holy as you are holy fearing you, loving each other, and craving your word. Father, may you do what only you can do, and may you stir within us a heart of obedience to live in response to all you've done for us. And it's in the precious name of our risen Saviour that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.